0: I got up Monday morning and I was just ready for my week. I, I like Mondays. I know a lot of people don't like Mondays and I, I blame most of that on Garfield. And, uh, but, but Monday is just kind of a, a good day for me, mostly because before I just kind of get back into work, Monday is kind of a day for me to like break with my normal rhythm. And so I was excited because Monday morning we woke up early about 620. That, that's early for us this is our normal time and Sarah's like hey go wake the kids up tell them to make their own lunches and then come back to bed we're gonna sleep in I'm like woohoo and so I like I like just woke the kids up came back to bed and we're just like I don't have to get up till 705 now and that's just to walk out the door and, and just you know get my kids out the door and so I get out of bed and and I just do one of these things where I just get up and stretch and that's the end of my day about seven years ago uh, my back went out for the very first time. Um, it always seems to go out in the spring, somewhere between March and May, and unfortunately, it's become an annual occurrence. And and the first time it happened, I had been out working hard, mowing the lawn, gathering leaves, cutting limbs, and after a long day of work in the yard, uh, I, my son had been helping me, which made it a longer day of working in the yard because he was five. And so he's standing up on my workbench, and and I I simply look over at him, like, we're done. And so I reach over, and it's like, come on. And he jumps off the workbench in a five-year-old way that he can trust his father. And I reach out, and I catch him, and I swing him down to the ground, and he hits the ground, and then I hit the ground, and I don't come back up. And that was the first time my back went out. Uh, I laid there for about 10 minutes trying to get up until finally I was in so much pain. I, I looked at... Uh, my five-year-old said, go get your mom. I, I tried to do this on my own, and there was a moment when I was laying on the ground, I thought, I need help beyond myself. And so, uh, after a period of time, my wife came outside, she's like, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I, I, this is my life now. And so, after about 30 minutes of trying, uh, we got me, I, I was standing up like this, just kind of at a 90-degree angle, and I couldn't straighten my back. And we got me into the car, which wasn't too difficult, because this is how you sit in a car, you're just up like this. And so I thought, well, if I just fall back and keep my legs at the same angle, I can get into the car. And I went to some friends of ours, some people from the church who are physical therapists. And uh, they basically said, hey, all of the muscles in the back that are supposed to be up here, this upper left portion of your back, they're over here in the lower right portion of your back. And they said, we have to try and move them. And so for the next 45 minutes as I laid on a table, they just kind of tried to move muscles around until they got me in a functional position where I could be at a 70 degree angle. Since then, it seems like it's less and less of a trigger that will put me in that position where I'm like, I need help and I am down for the count. Last year was kind of a low point. I went to pick up my daughter's cereal bowl out of the dishwasher, it's a little pink Plastic cereal bowl, and I bent over like this, and I came back up and I fell back down. And I'm like, apparently, that's all it takes is a cereal bowl Uh, until Monday. The Monday, I simply got out of bed just in a good mood and stretched, and my back went into complete spasm worse than it has before. And so, very quickly, I I couldn't catch my breath. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the pain, I'm not sure if it was the contraction of the muscles, but I could not inhale because there was too much pain, and so I just kind of fell back to the floor, and my wife's like, what's going on? I said, my back, it went out, and so we call our neighbor, who's a physical therapist, and and my wife is just talking to our neighbor, trying to figure out what do we do, what can we do, and so if you've ever spoken to my wife, she's very pleasant uh, on the phone, or just in in general to speak to, uh, just a nice, very good, present conversationalist. I'm not all those things all the time, but my wife is. And so as I'm sitting here and I can't catch my breath and suddenly my vision begins to blur and I'm like, I am about to pass out. And so I'm trying to communicate to my wife, I'm I'm going down, I'm about to pass out. And she's like, hold on. Okay, so that would be a good exercise for the future. Okay. And I'm like, no, 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 We, we need to focus on the now. Like I am in need of help for the now. I don't need to know what core exercises I should begin to do in the future. And then my dog got up. My dog is 16, which makes her like 130 in dog years or something like that. And so she's blind and can't walk and can't smell or see or hear. And so when she gets up, we're very quickly to pick her up and take her outside so that she doesn't, uh, the only reason she gets off of her bed anymore is when she has to go to the bathroom. The dog gets up. My wife's still on the phone. The dog is creeping near to me where I can't move. I'm trying to scoot my body over and it's not working. And, and anyway, I won't get into all of that. And I'm like, I'm about to pass out. And then I get to the point where I'm about to throw up. And I just, I can't handle it anymore, and I'm trying to get my wife's attention, and she goes, hold on, hold on, I'm still on the phone. And all that to say, I realized at that moment, I needed help outside of myself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're like, I, this is beyond Matt's ability. This is beyond what I can do. I need help. And you come to God. Have you ever been to God where you're like, God, I need help outside of myself? That's where we pick up today's story. If you would open up your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 5 beginning at verse 15 today. If you're not familiar with your Bible or don't know where to find the book of Luke, uh, it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. You'll come to the New Testament. There are four big books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus. We're in the third one of those, Luke, and we'll be in Luke chapter 5. Every day... You come here, we'll kind of tell you how to get there. We'll tell you where to find it in your Bible. Uh, we don't want to do these Bible drills, and we we'll are like, turn to Hezekiah. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, and we're never just going to come in here and say, do Leviticus, and, and expect that. We're always going to help you get there. So we always want to encourage you, bring your Bible. We will have the words up on your screen, but this is the Word of God. We want you to be familiar with it, because one day, you're going to have a problem beyond yourself. You're going to need help. You're going to need to know where to turn. And you can't take our screen and projector home to be able to find that. And so every week we're going to say, write this down in your Bible. Circle, highlight, circle, and understand what this is. So that when you come to that crisis, you know where to turn. You know how to get God's word and you know what it says. All right. It has nothing to do with the message today. We're picking up this message right after last week. Uh, Jesus had started calling his disciples, and as he does, he begins to gain tremendous amount of popularity because people begin to realize what Jesus is capable of. They begin to see his miracles. They begin to see his healings. And people are flocking to Jesus, and they cannot get enough of him. And it just becomes this, this moment where as everybody comes to him, uh, Jesus, after calling Peter, goes to Peter's house. and His mother-in-law comes down with this horrible fever. I don't know what it was, but just she's sick. She's not getting any better and she begins to fade. And so Jesus prays for her and suddenly she gets well. Peter just cannot contain this news and he goes out and begins to tell everyone about the miracles of Jesus and what happened. And that night, somewhere around bedtime, people begin coming to the door. Peter hears a late night knock on his door. Hey, Peter, we heard you had a doctor in the house. No, he's not a doctor. He's a a prophet or something. Hey, he just healed her. He just prayed and God did it. And they're like, do you think he could pray for my mom? And so people begin bringing their sick and their injured, their hurt. And it didn't matter if you stepped on a Lego or lost an arm in an accident. Everybody is now coming to Jesus with whatever problems they had. And scripture says that Jesus is up all night healing until early in the morning. People keep on bringing their problems to Jesus until Jesus just has to leave. And he's like, listen, I have to get away. I did not come just to fix people's problems. We'll get into that in a minute. As people continue to come to Jesus, he's able to heal the blind. He's able to heal the lepers. In fact, in the story right before this, there's a leprous man who hears about the power of Jesus. Uh, the disease of when I say leper, by the way, whenever I came to church as a kid, I always heard leopard. And so I'm like, a leopard came to Jesus and Jesus healed this leopard. And I'm like, he's like going out to zoos and healing creatures and that's not what it is. Someone who is a leper was someone with a disease of leprosy. Today we call it Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection which takes over your body piece by piece. It slowly begins to incubate in your system and you don't know it's there for about the first year until it makes its way to the surface of your skin and it begins to break through in your skin and boils and pustules. It begins to form these little rings on your body. And on the outward portions of your body, on your fingers, on your earlobes, on your toes, the the infection becomes so prevalent that those parts of your body actually begin to fall off. And it's not only a horrible way to die, but it's a horrible way to live. In addition to this, God said, if someone amongst you has an infectious skin disease, you have to send them out of the town. Why? because before we understood how bacteria worked before we understand that you have to cough into your sleeve and before we understood all the things about washing your hands god set apart certain rules and he goes when you are sick here's what you have to do so that you do not infect everybody and cause an outbreak he says you have to wear ripped up robes they look disheveled and old And he goes, you have to wear a veil over your mouth. Before we understood that germs could be even transmitted or what a germ was, before we had any comprehension of microbiology or about how bacteria worked, God goes, cover your mouth if you're sick. We're still trying to teach people this. And he goes, you wear a veil so that people know. And then when they come near you, you cry out, unclean! Basically saying, don't hug me. Don't touch me. He goes, I am sick. Uh, By the way, this is a great time to talk to you about our new coronavirus outbreak protocols for Fellowship of Oso Creek. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's coming. We'll get there. Uh, But it's this moment where they just have to cry out and they have to live outside the city and they're not welcome in with anybody else. And the story right above this, a leper comes into town where he's not supposed to be because he's heard about Jesus. And he goes, This is my only hope. This is my only chance. And he just cries out to Jesus. He says, If you are willing, you can fix me too. If you're willing, I can be made clean. And Jesus simply says, I'm willing. And he reaches out and he touches the man, a man who has not been touched in years. He reaches out and he places his hands on his arm. he does the molecules of his body begin to rearrange themselves the bacteria begins to dissolve and go away and his skin rearranges itself and becomes pure and he has this nice beautiful glowing tan all of a sudden and he just hey just his skin is whole again and he's just out there and at this moment he'll look at him he says don't tell anyone What happened? And he goes, but instead, just go show yourself to the priest. Why show yourself to the priest? Because if you were a leper, you were not allowed to come to church. If you had this disease, you could not be with anybody else. And all of your relationships with God and with people were broken. And you were an outcast from society, and you could not come in. And what you had to do is, if you showed yourself to the priest that you were clean, then now you could restore your religion. And the guy looks at the guy, and basically says, get yourself to church because you need to be right with God. And he goes, Don't tell anybody about the healing, because that's not why I've come. I've come to make you right with God. Have you ever had a secret that you told someone? And you say, Don't tell anybody. And like the next day, everybody knows. I'm not sure if it was the leprous guy. I don't know his name. Let's call him Leopard Larry. And I'm not sure if it was Leper Larry or somebody who witnessed it. Maybe it was his family members. But everybody begins talking about Jesus. And now every time Jesus goes anywhere, he is inundated with people. People flock to him. And in the story we reach today, Jesus comes into a house and a little kid just runs into town. And he's like, Jesus is here. And everybody in the town, in the surrounding towns, all run to see Jesus. It's like saying, hey, guys, we're going to have a live group. Jesus is going to be here today. And the entire city of Corpus Christi shows up at your door. Thousands of people crowded outside this house. And that's where we pick up this story. Beginning of verse 15, it says this. News about him spread all the more. Some of you guys are like, we're picking up the story. I thought you were going to end in prayer. Um, The news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him. To be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love this. It says, people just surrounded Jesus, and with all of the busyness of life, with everything he had to do, Jesus made sure that the demands of life drove Jesus to rest in prayer, not away from it. Did you catch that? I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said. He said, I have far too much to get done in a day to spend any less than three hours in prayer. He says, I have to start in prayer. I have to start with this moment of God because I have too much to get done not to spend my morning focused on God. How many of you guys would you consider yourself busy, driven people? There's always something. How many of you guys are moms? And you know what life is like because all day long, there are these little kids just pulling at you and and pawing at you. Every one of them want your attention and you have like three of them. Some of you have seven of them and they all want your individual attention. And they're all just trying to get that. And you finally get through the day and get your kids to best. And there's your husband. (laughs) And it's like, oh, no. (laughs) See, like, the, the, the busyness of life. And some of you are just so inundated with everything going on. And yet, Jesus made sure that the demands of life drove him towards rest and prayer, not away from it. You see, we have to do the same thing. We have to make sure that the busier we get, we cannot neglect rest and prayer and the things that God have told us to do. I, I talked about this about three, I don't know, several weeks ago. You can check it out online. when We talked about just the importance of rest and Sabbath and reconnecting with the Lord. You have to make that a priority. And with everything Jesus had to do, he stopped and made it a priority. It's why my Monday mornings are precious to me. And it's not because that's my day off, because it's a day where I can stop. And I could say, before all of the busyness of the week, before all of the phone calls, before all of the appointments, before all of the follow-up, before I start planning anything else, I can take time. And I go slowly. And then I throw my back out, and I'm like, I really don't have time for this, though. Make sure that the demands of life drive you towards rest and prayer, not from it. And it says, one day Jesus was teaching. Circle, highlight, or underline the word teaching. Whenever you see Jesus teaching, do me a favor, and you'll need a couple of pens for this, because you're going to run out of ink. Circle whenever you see Jesus teaching. Because every time we see Jesus, he was teaching. Either he was actually doing the teaching, or we don't get the teaching, but it just says that's what he was doing. He was teaching. And I want you to catch this. Jesus' primary purpose when he came to this earth was to Teach. And if we worship and follow a God whose primary purpose is to teach, then our primary purpose is to learn. I'm sure a lot more of you would have caught that if we didn't set our clocks back. All right, I'll try that again. If Jesus' primary purpose is to teach, then our primary purpose is to learn. Oh, you guys are so good. You see, Jesus came and he was teaching. You see, he didn't come to fix. It wasn't just that he was there to solve our problems. In fact, every time you see Jesus in the Bible and he's teaching, he says, take the teaching out. Go teach people what I have taught you. But every time there's healing, he says, don't tell anybody. And it's because he knew if word got out about the healing that he was a problem fixer, then that was all that he would be. People would keep on coming to him for their problems, but he did not come to fix your problems. He came to teach. And it's why he cured this leprous man and said, go to church, because I came to restore your relationship between you and God. I didn't come to fix your problems because your problems are going to come back. Your problems will always be with you. But I came to teach you how to walk through these problems with God. And so it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village. just highlight. Under every village of Galilee. From Judea, which is the surrounding area. And even from Jerusalem. And the power was with the Lord Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came. And this is interesting. He says, some men came and they tried, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the, of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. This is, I, I know the Bible is long. I know there's a lot there. I only get two verses about this story. I need more. I want to know how this happened. Like, here's what it says. So many people crowding outside there. In fact, in the book of Mark, when it tells a story, it will say that there's so many people outside of the doors and outside of the windows that you couldn't get near the house. And so they brought him. There was no way up. And somebody goes, hey, let's dig a hole in the roof. And they just lowered this guy through the roof. I want to see this one. I want a little bit more information. Where did this start? And I've got this picture in my head. And don't take notes on this part because this is just all Matt's imagination. I don't know it's the way it went down, but I just want to see this one. I can imagine this little boy running into town and saying, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. And everybody begins to close up shop, the market for the day. So everybody suddenly begins to gather up their wares and put them on the cart and like throw the blanks and everything. We're closed, closing down early today, Jesus is here. And everybody begins to run and put their things away. They begin to run home. They grab their kids, grab their wives, and everybody begins to run to Jesus because Jesus is coming. People run from towns away. They've come from Judea. Even the bigwigs hear about Jesus. They hear about his healing. They hear about his teaching. And they want to know what's up with this Jesus guy. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders come all the way from Jerusalem, make a three-day journey to see this guy. And the lines are outside the doors. I can just imagine whoever the guy who had Jesus in his house is. We don't know who it was. Let's call him Frank. And Frank's like, man, I got Jesus in my house. This is exciting. Everybody's trampling my lawn and my flowers are all dead. But Jesus is here. And there's not even room to move within the house. You can't get near. But when this one guy hears that Jesus is coming, let's call him Craig. I don't have a better name for now. Craig hears that Jesus is there. He just starts running in the direction of everybody else. And Craig is fast and he hears the word early and he just starts running towards the house. And he's like, oh, man, I may even be able to get in the house. I may even get a seat on the couch or something. And he's just moving. And all of a sudden he just stops. People are running by him saying, come on, Craig, don't miss this. And people are bumping him on the shoulders. Everybody's crowding to get to Jesus. And all of a sudden, his mind goes to somebody else. And he remembers the paralyzed man who lives at the end of the town. It's over the hill and down through the river. He lives in a double-wide trailer over there. And he lies on his mat day in and day out. And he cannot move. He's paralyzed from the neck down. This is in a day and age where there was no government assistance that this man lived off of whatever generosity, whatever people came by. And occasionally people would come by to feed him because he can't feed himself, to change him because he can't change himself, to clean him because he cannot get up to use the bathroom. And so he lives on this mat, which is polluted with his own waste. And this is his lifestyle. And this is how he lives. And as Craig is just thinking about Jesus and, and everybody's just running to Jesus, he just stops. And he's like, I, I don't know the paralyzed guy's name either. Let's call him Paralyzed Pete. And he thinks, What about Pete? And he just stops. He's like, What about Paralyzed Pete? And so as he's running through the crowd, this guy bumps into him, and then he recognizes him. It's his old friend Kyle. And he's like, Kyle! And Kyle's like, Hey, hey Craig, do you hear? Jesus is in town. Like, let's go, we're headed down there, man, come on, before it gets too crowded. And Kyle's like, hey, come on, let's go. And Craig's like, Kyle, what about Pete? He goes, what about Pete? How's Pete supposed to get to Jesus? That's a terrible question. Pete can't walk. He's not going to get to Jesus. That's the point. He goes, what if we carried him? Now Kyle has a decision to make. He looks at Craig, looks back towards where Pete lives and looks at the house. He's like, oh, we can still get a seat. All right, you're right, you're right. We got to do this, okay. And so they, you know, Kyle reaches out, grabs the first guy, and he can get his arms around. He's like, oh, Bobby, thank goodness it's you. Come on, we're going back for Pete. They grab a fourth player to be named later, and the four of them run through the city to the other side, up the hill and back down towards the creek where Pete lays on his mat day in and day out. They run into his house a little bit, winded, grab the mat and start carrying him out. Pete's like, hey, guys, what's going on? They're like, we're bringing you to Jesus. Jesus is down, He's going to fix this. I don't even think Pete wants to go. I think the story will tell us that. Pete's just along for the ride. Suddenly, the four guys just come. Each one grabs a corner of the mat. and They're like, come on, we're going. And Pete's like, wait, where are we going? Just bouncing up and down as they run through They're like, we're going to take you to Jesus. He's going to fix this. This is going to be so great. Pete's like, guys, I'm paralyzed. Get over it. Do you have any idea how many doctors I've been through? How many solutions? How many miracle workers people have come? How many things I've tried to fix this? I've accepted it. Maybe you should too. His friends will not put him down. They will not let him go. And they will drag him through the town until they get to the house. They get there all winded. <laughs> we made it. And they look in the crowd coming out of the house. There's no way they can get there. Kyle looks at Craig, and he goes, this is your idea, man. Do something. Craig's like, all right. And they put Pete down. Pete's like, hey, guys, I told you there's no point. We can't get in. Let's just go home. Kyle goes up to the crowd, and he goes, hey, guys. And everybody's like, shh. Jesus, teach you. We're trying to listen. Keep it down to the lobby, man. And he's like, no, no, no. We have a problem. Shh. We all have problems. Why do you think we're here? Comes back, and he goes, ah. I don't know. We could wait it out. Yeah, but when he leaves, what are the odds he comes by this way? We'll just get trampled by the crowd. And Kyle looks up and he goes, hey, guys, there's nobody up on the roof. Of course there's nobody up on the roof. There's nobody up on the roof. He goes, yeah, but that's the point. And this day in these little adobe-built houses made out of mud and thatch, every house would have had a staircase on the side of the house going up to the roof. The roof would have been made of thatch and mud and thatch and mud. It would be a place where you can go because as the, as the Middle Eastern sun raises up, it would have cooked this little house, and it would have gotten so hot inside that everybody ascends to the roof to recline and rest for the afternoon about 3, 4 o'clock when it's too hot to be inside, and they rest on the roof. It would have been, it would basically have been a second-story open-air facility. So they go up onto the roof. And he's like, Kyle, what's your plan? He goes, well, I was at Home Depot the other day, and they had the special on Skylights. I've got an idea. One of them runs by the shed and grabs a shovel as they come out there. And they go up on the roof. And I can just imagine them having to carry Pete up on his mat, up onto the roof. And Pete's like, guys, I swear, if you drop me, if this guy heals me, I'm going to beat the snot out of you guys. <laughs> and they carry him up onto the roof. They lay him down. And they grab their shovel and he's like. <coughs> 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 and they start digging there, Trying to get through the mud, through the thatch. Meanwhile, in the crowded house inside, so crowded, nobody can move. Everybody's gathered around as the heat just is up there. And suddenly, they hear this, <sighs> Dust starts falling down. People are trying to get out of the way they can. It's getting into their eyes. Jesus is trying to teach. I'm not sure if you know what it's like to try and teach through distractions. It's not easy. Uh, just last week, uh, my friend Rob, he had a spoon in his pocket. And so... So Rob comes with the spoon. He was at Life Groups, and someone stole one of his spoons. They got convicted or whatever. They brought Rob back the spoon to church. Rob puts a spoon in his shorts, down on the front row, crosses his legs halfway through the message, and the spoon slides out and drops on the floor. David Riggers is sitting behind Rob, and he just picks up the spoon. He goes, you dropped your pocket spoon. (laughs) And the entire right side of the crowd loses it. I don't mind when you all laugh. Like, that just encourages me. But everybody's like... (laughs) Because apparently we can't laugh in church. Everybody's trying to hold it in and not distract. And I'm like, guys, I can't even out-teach a spoon. I don't even know what it would be like for someone to start chomping through the roof while you're in the middle of trying to give a lesson. And even Jesus has got to be like, so then God wants you to, what is going on? Meanwhile, Frank's like, everybody's looking at Frank who owns the house. They're like, what kind of rodents do you have in this place, bro? And they chomp through the roof, and finally this ray of light comes in, illuminating all the particles and dust that have fallen down over the people. And they begin peeling back this tile, this roof, until the sweaty, dirty face sticks through the roof. And he goes, hey guys, we're coming down. It's like, coming down? Jesus is trying to teach. Have you ever seen the picture of this moment, like the Sunday school picture? It's this thing where they have this big, you know, clean-cut, like, eight-foot-by-four-foot opening, and they're lowering them down on a set of pulleys on this mat that stays flat for some reason, despite that that's not how carpets work. And they've got this rope system. I don't think that's what was going on. I think four dudes get up to the roof, and they're like, "Let's dig a hole through the roof. I don't think they're engineers. I think these are just bros, and this is just, like, the most manly idea ever. Like, if there would have been a woman, she would have had a better solution in this plan. And it says, the four guys come up here. I don't think they dug it big enough. I think they dug the hole big enough just to get him vertically through the roof. And they're like, okay, here's the plan. We're just going to wrap his mat around him, and we're just going to, like, lower him on like this. And we get him low enough, like, just let's get all in here, and we're just going to let go of you, okay, bro? And he's like, he's like, I am going to beat you guys up if he heals me. And they just drop him, and they're like, all right, we're going to drop you on three. He's paralyzed already. What's the worst that's going to happen? And they just let go. It just kind of like falls down. And this is what it says. Two verses. I want to rent this one when I get up there. Don't take notes on any of that. That's just the way I I, I see this happening. And then it says this in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, circle, highlight, or underline the word their faith. This is why I don't think this is about Pete. I don't even think he wanted to be there because every time there's a healing Jesus will address the faith of the person who comes. And he looks up and sees the four guys up on the roof. And he sees the faith of friends. A faith that brings other people to Jesus. A faith that is so determined that nothing will deter them from bringing somebody else to Christ. And it's their faith that impresses Jesus. Not Pete's. I don't think Pete got a coalition to bring him down here. I don't think this was his idea. I think it's the guys who brought him. And Jesus looks at Pete and he goes, friend. And I love that word. I mean, it's like you interrupted my lesson. You interrupted my schedule. You interrupted my day. You you dug a hole through my roof. And I'm going to call you friend. And he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. I think this has got to be an incredibly anticlimactic moment for the guys on the roof. And they're like, "What did he say? Your sins are forgiven." Psst, Jesus, he can't move. Like, we—he we didn't bring him here and tie him up because if we caught him smoking pot in the garage. Like, he doesn't need to be forgiven. He can't walk. Fix him. Jesus goes, "Your sins are forgiven." It's like, that wasn't the problem. But because we worship a God whose main purpose is to teach, he's going to take the opportunity to teach something today. Because the friends had an idea that what Pete really needed was healing. The friends had an idea that what Pete really needed was to be fixed. The friends had an idea, if we bring somebody to Jesus, their problems will go away. And that's not why Jesus came. So Jesus will take the opportunity to teach at this moment why he came. He says, I didn't come to fix your problem. I came to fix your broken relationship with God. And he goes, the only way you can have a right relationship with God is if you're forgiven. Because this is the circumstance of the human race. We have a relationship that has been broken with God. We have been separated by God by our sin. And we are designed to live in this relationship with God. And that is why Christ came. So that we can have a right relationship with him. He goes, that's who I am. That's why I came. He goes, it's because I want to fix your relationship with God. What you need is your sins to be forgiven. I wrote this down in your Creek notes. Our greatest need is to be forgiven, not fixed. Our greatest need is to be forgiven, not fixed. Have you ever prayed to God and you feel like he's ignoring your problems? Because that's literally what happens in this story. They bring their problems to Jesus, and he forgives them, and their problems are still there. It's because Jesus did not come to take your problem away. He's more interested in teaching you how to walk through the problems with a Christ-like attitude. He wants you to learn to walk through the problems with God. He wants to restore your relationship with God so that you can walk in the way that you were supposed to walk. So you can live in the way you were supposed to live And then I says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this clown who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, scripture says that our sins are against God and God alone, and only He can forgive our sins. And Jesus forgives this man's sins, and everybody's like, Who does He think He is? Because only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus knew what they were thinking. How many of you, that thought scares you? Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows what's in your heart. And then he says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. But so you know that the Son of Man has the authority to do both. And then he said to this paralyzed man, I tell you, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. And took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The Pharisees look at Jesus and they go, who do you think you are? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he goes, well, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? I can answer that one. It's your sins are forgiven. I can say that. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I can say that all day. Like, your sins are forgiven. You know what's harder to say? Pick up your mat and walk. I back that one up with something. And he goes, but so you know, the son of man has the authority to do both. Stop, circle, highlight, or underline this phrase, son of man. And in the margin in your Bible, right next to where it says son of man, I want you to write Dan 7. Daniel chapter 7. And this is what Daniel chapter 7 says. Keep something in the book of Luke. And then I want you to flip a couple books back. After the the Gospels, you are going to come to uh, a bunch of books that sound like Amish names. Zechariah, Hephaniah, Nahum, Hosea. And eventually you'll come to Daniel. If you hit Ezekiel, you've gone too far. Ezekiel is a big, thick book. Easy to find. Daniel chapter 7. Beginning in verse 13, Daniel has this vision of this one called the Son of Man. and Here's what he said. In my vision at night, I looked out, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that is God. God is Ancient of Days. And he was led into his presence. He was given all authority, all glory, all sovereign power, and all nations and all people of every language worshipped him. His domain was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 500 years before Jesus is born, Daniel has this vision of this one called the Son of Man. And he says, whoever the Son of Man is, he has this vision of the Christ of the Messiah, and he goes, when he comes, he is going to be worshipped by all people, all nations. He's going to have all the authority of God, all the sovereignty of God. He's going to have all the power of God. He's going to be God himself catch this. The Pharisees look and say, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus Christ answers them. He goes, you want to know the authority I have? And he redresses himself as thus, the son of man. On the other side of your Bible, in this margin right by the son of man, write 84x. Jesus will call himself the son of man 84 times in scripture. It is his favorite way to address himself. It is his favorite way to talk about himself. And he simply answered, you want to know who I think I am? I will tell you outright. I am the one whom all people of all nations of all language will come and worship. I am God himself given all authority and all power and I'll back it up. Take up your mat and walk. Say what you want to about who you think Jesus was. People will sometimes say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He absolutely claimed to be God himself. And not only did he back it up, but the prophecy has been fulfilled. The name of Jesus is spoken in every tribe, in every nation. People around the world now know this person of Jesus Christ as God. And I have come to forgive you, and to give you a right relationship with him. And so this guy walks out of there, and everybody's amazed. I can just see the moment. And Jesus is like, so you know, I have the authority to do both. And he goes, take up your mat and walk. And I imagine the man picked up his head, and for the first time, his back curls as he sits up. And unsteadily, he gets to his feet. And he grabs his mat by the corner that he was carried there by. And what he's seen other people do a thousand times, he does for the first time in I don't know how many years. And he takes a step left, right. And I don't care how crowded the house was at that moment. They part ways as the man walks out by his own corner. And I don't think there was a sound or a whisper in that house Except for a scurrying and screaming on the roof of four dudes trying to race down the stairs to see who could get to the door first. And it says the people were amazed. But I want to tell you something. They missed it. The people were amazed at the miracle. The people were amazed at the healing. They were amazed at the fixing. But I promise you, Pete is no longer walking today. I don't know what happened. I don't know what took him. Pete eventually died. Maybe with his old age, he just rejoiced for the time he had to walk before he lost that ability again. Maybe it took him overnight. Something surprised him. Maybe he got sick. But Pete stopped walking. Every healing in the Bible turned against himself. Every resurrection that Jesus performed, they died again. Every blind person eventually again closed their eyes. You see, Jesus did not come to fix your problems. That's a temporary solution. Jesus came to fix your relationship with God and make you have the relationship that you were designed to have all along. That's what they should have been amazed at. That God himself would come to earth. That the son of man has come down. That that God is in their midst and he is actually forgiving their sins. And it's why he said to leprous Larry, go and show yourself to the priest because you need to be right with God. Because that's always been the plan. That's always been why I came. I came to teach you not to forgive you. I came to forgive you from your sins. I came to show you how to walk with God. And honestly, I would rather have my problems fixed than my sins forgiven. You say that, church. My prayers give it away if I don't tell you. All the time, I come to Jesus with a laundry list of my problems. God, fix me, fix me. I pray for you, too. God, fix that person. He's a jerk. I don't know what to do about that. I come to God with all these things instead of saying, God, would you teach me? When was the last time you came? Man, even as we began opening up our scriptures together as we come and sing and worship, that you just sat there in your own chair and said, God, teach me today. Show me what I need to know today. She's like, just say something to me personally today, God. And you just opened yourself up to the Holy Spirit to teach you. And he goes, that's what you should be amazed at, that you can have the relationship with God where you can hear from him because Jesus didn't let the busyness of life drive him away from prayer and rest. He made it drive him to prayer and rest because at the beginning of this passage it says the Holy Spirit was with Jesus in this moment to heal. I don't think it was always the case because scripture points out when he could and when it was with him to heal. And I think Jesus was aware of when that happened because he spent time with God to listen. We've been made right with God And we come to God with this prayer God, would you fix this? Would you fix this? As opposed to, God, would you teach me how to walk with you? God, would you show me who I need to be? God, would you give me the right relationship? Would you correct anything that needs to be corrected within me? I'm just talking about me. God, teach me, give my life an impact. Yesterday, I officiated a funeral for a friend. My friend Shelby uh, passed away when she was 28 years old. She was a missionary in China. Uh, She used to babysit for my kids. And I remember one time uh, she came over and she was babysitting for us. And I I often let the busyness of life drive me uh, to be quick about things. And so I I made coffee. And as a person with a sweet tooth, I would try good coffee with, you know, espresso and, and milk. And when I didn't have time, I would do all that stuff. But I had this bottle of vanilla, which I would just pour of vanilla into my coffee, uh, the vanilla syrup and stir it and, and run. And then I got to be in too much of a hurry and I stopped pouring it into the teaspoon. I just learned the right amount. and I would splash the vanilla in there. She came over to babysit my kids one day. She saw me pull this bottle of amber liquid out of the top shelf of my cabinet, drop it into my coffee real quick and run out the door. And she became so afraid. Of the pastor whose kids she was babysitting for. And so after she saw me do this for the third time. She like went into the cabinet and pulled it out. And saw it was just vanilla syrup and not whiskey. Yesterday we had her funeral. She passed away in January. From a pulmonary embolism. While she was serving as a missionary in China. Because of bureaucracy. We weren't able to get her uh, remains her body back. Uh, But that's okay. We know her spirit is with God. And so we held the memorial service late. And as we did, it was just testimony after testimony about the impact that she had had upon people's lives. And people came forward and talked about how she had mentored them, about how she spurred them on to know Jesus, and about how everything she did just led them closer and closer to Christ. And we filled that room with 200 people who had been impacted by her. She was a Young Life leader. And at the end, they said, hey, if you are here because you knew Shelby in Young Life, would you come over this direction? And a hundred people gathered on this picture of Shelby just to simply take a picture. And it's a moment that most of us will never get until we actually go to heaven on our own to say, this is the number of people you've had your fingerprints on. This is the number of lives you've impacted. And we come to God saying, God, fix my problem to, God, would you teach me how to lead a life of impact so that other people can come to know you? What I want you to know about this message is this. A godly community brings people to Jesus. And secondly, a godly community carries mats. I love that Craig did not take this off on his own. He could have made it to church. A godly community is comprised of people who can get to Jesus who can take the front row seat, who can be comfortable where they are in their church, and they stop. And they sacrifice themselves for others to bring people to Jesus who never would have been able to get there otherwise. A godly community comprised of the people who carry mats. Mats that have been saturated and soaked in filth and in urine for years. And they'll pick it up Because if you don't, someone else will never come to Jesus. You see, this is the point in the picture of life group. Carrying mats is a stinky, ugly, disgusting business. And we have to be a community, a life group who says, how can I help? What can I do? How can I bring other people to Christ? How can I carry your mat for you? I mentioned this week, my my back went out, and when it originally did, I I texted some guys from uh, my life group and said, hey, my back's gone out, and my wife and I chose this week to rearrange furniture in the house um, because we were fostering, and we needed to move some beds from this room to that room, and and I'm like, hey, I'll get this done today, and my wife is like, you can't sit up. She goes, you are going to kill yourself. Be smart about this. So I said, yes, ma'am, and so I texted some guys And said, hey, so I threw my back out and I need to rearrange furniture. Would you come rearrange my furniture? And so I stood there, helpless and not able to do anything. Just saying, move that bed there, carry that mattress, pick this up. And they did all the work for me. It drove me nuts. That was a year ago. And so Monday, when I threw my back out, I texted them. and said, hey guys, so we're reopening for fostering. And uh, would you come and rearrange the furniture again? Because that's what we do when my back goes out. It's a great time to do it, and so they came over at dinner time and just moved oak dressers and, you know, heavy bunk beds, trundle beds, disassembled them, reassembled them, you know, and just moved things, being very careful about their backs the whole time while I sat there, and they carried mats. Why? Because a godly community picks up mats. They serve one another. But a godly community carries mats to bring other people to Jesus. You see, i I got to be honest. I would rather get involved in something big and exciting and momentary. If one of you came to me and said, Matt, would you help me dig a hole in a roof so we can, like, reach this one guy. I'm like, oh, I'm all there. That sounds fun. That sounds exciting. Like, let's climb a roof. But if someone comes and says, hey, would you pray for my marriage every day for the next month? Well, that sounds hard. That's what it looks like to carry one another's mats. Scripture says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And guys, I want to let you know, godly people bring others to Jesus. A godly community brings other people to Jesus. And you don't have to do it alone. I love that that Craig could not have accomplished this on his own. So he pulled together the community that was mobilized. And said, I'm determined to bring this person to Jesus. Who's got a corner with me? And they made it happen. Today, I simply want to extend an invitation as we pray. As we enter this time of response and worship. Some of you may never have entered into this relationship with Jesus. And so we talk about Jesus came that you could be forgiven and have this relationship with God. This may be new news to you. As I look around and see your faces, most of you knew that. Most of you have that relationship. Most of you have been established. And if you didn't, I want you to know God came to restore that. And for those of you who have that relationship with God, I want to let you know we have a mission to carry people's mats and to bring people to Jesus who never would have known him without our interaction I sat there in a room yesterday as people gave homage to Shelby for what she had done for the kingdom. And people said, She brought me to Jesus, she brought me to Jesus, she brought me to Jesus. And I, I can't imagine the I, I I can't imagine the impact that she had on simply being able to do that. But if you trace that backwards. Shelby's entire impact was because one person loved her into the kingdom of God. They loved her and showed her what it is. And it was one person's impact on Shelby's life. It was Candy Richardson. And it was her love for Shelby that drove Shelby to the arms of Jesus. That drove Shelby overseas. That counted numerous people both in Corpus Christi and around the world to knowing Jesus Christ. That's the legacy we should leave. That's the impact that we should have. And it begins when we determine that we will carry mats and we will carry people to Jesus. And so I simply want to ask this question. Whose mat are you carrying? That's the final thought on your Creek Notes. Whose mat are you carrying? Who are you serving? Who has God put on your mind that you're like, I need to tell this person about Christ. I need to be this example. Is it your coworker? Is it your friend? Is it your neighbor? See, I don't know who God's put in your path, but he's put them in your path and nobody else's. And this is your opportunity to simply respond. As we respond, if you want to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, several of our pastors and our elders and life group leaders, we will be up front and we'd love the privilege of praying for you. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you know who you're supposed to minister to, who you're supposed to bring to Christ, come to us and let us pray for that person with you. Let us take a corner of that mat. Let us back you in this. Let us commit and say, we will pray for you every day for that person for a month until they know Christ. Maybe like, I don't know how to drag a person to Christ. They don't want to come. You simply invite them and say, come and see and watch the doors of God.